Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, and thank you so much for listening. And we have an incredible episode today with Carl, who is the founder of Joyful Noise Recordings. We're going to get to that interview. You know, I had so many people... Um, ask me to interview this label. Well, not so many, three people, at least three people. I have to check that survey we did because there may have been more, but at least three people specifically asked if we could do a Joyful Noise um, episode. It was such uh, so much fun to talk with Carl. And um, I even realized going through the website, like how many records of his, you know, from the years have impacted me and the bands he's worked with. And so I was so pleased to chat with him. And it's a really, really, really interesting um, conversation. In fact, we talk about this like mysterious thing that happened to him that he got really lucky where he sort of unlocked the secret desires, if you will, of, of his customers. And that really kind of set him off um, into uh, where they're at today. And they're super successful and they're super loved by their, their customer base. And so um, we talk a little bit about, you know, how he had this, he took a risk and, and he kind of discovered something. So I, I think you're going to really get something from it. And, uh, you know, as label owners or people thinking of starting a label, we're, we're really focusing uh, on these episodes and the previous episodes on the topic of marketing and uh, doing a better job at promoting our releases and building album campaigns. And I have this, you know, if this is something that's interesting to you um, or something that you at your label um, may find confusing or struggle, struggle with, go to otherrecordlabels.com slash marketing. I've put together this little marketing checklist from some of the people that I've, I've interviewed over the past couple of years, as well as um, some of my own uh, things that I try to do uh, leading up to a release and on release day. So if you want a copy of this marketing checklist, go to otherrecordlabels.com slash marketing. I hope you enjoy this interview. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Um, I'm excited to chat yeah, with you. I, I I had the um, the Alpha and Omega double album from Danielson Family on CD when I was oh, cool. when I was super young, and uh, I remember when yeah. Snap Out of It came out. I was so ex- so excited to hear new music from them. And I actually just found when I was researching for this, I I had been looking for some of the old like Danielson Family records, and I couldn't find it on Spotify. But then I I found it under. Danielson and not under the family. Anyway, I'm going to deep dive back into yeah. that catalog. I'm pretty stoked to hear it all again. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's pretty amazing stuff, man. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of Daniel. And uh, yeah, Alpha and Omega is might be my favorite. Mm. I don't know. I really love uh, Fetch, the, Fetch the Compass Kids. This is incredible. And uh Tell another joke at the old shopping right. block. Yeah. Those are probably what, three favorites. What was the um, uh, what, Smooth Death? What record was that on? I think that was maybe um, Chopping Block? I think that's Tell Another Joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it is. Yeah. That was probably the first song I heard from them, like on a tooth and nail sampler back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, it, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to... Alpha and Omega just yesterday when I found it finally and it's interesting how some of this like kind of weirder music is ends up being a lot more timeless than some of lots of other music from the 90s but like I don't know I just feel like that record could come out today and be totally received well yeah absolutely yeah because artists like that are not um, 
they're not writing according to a um, you know current trend or whatever. Totally. You know, they're more or less un- unaware of, <laughs> of what is popular. Yeah, yeah. At the time, you know, they're they're really writing from uh, I don't know a place of of more. Uh, pure art, I guess. Absolutely. I want to ask you, like, kind of segueing into, like, streaming and, and uh, when it comes to, like, w- what kind of streaming strategy a label like yours might have because, like, talking about Danielson, you know, music that's more experimental and less commercially appealing, there's not really as many homes for, you know, passive mm-hmm. listeners like on dinner party playlists and stuff like that. What role does streaming totally, yeah. play for your label? <clears throat> it's, um, it's different for, for every artist. Okay. Um, I would say that some of our artists, um, are, they can get, uh, in a sweet spot where they are both experimental and it can be, um, uh, and it can do well on streaming platforms. Um, so a lot of like instrumental music, you know, for instance, um, you know, can work well on, you know, like the deep focus type playlists and shit like that. Um, so we've got a couple artists that I would definitely describe as experimental that do well on streaming platforms. Mm. Um, like L1011 would be one of them. Um, Kishibashi does well and Sunlocks. Um, right. But, um, but I think by and large, uh you're right that that the um the more experimental music doesn't translate as well to streaming platforms because the you know the streaming platforms like the the whole model of that economy is based on um having like appealing to a really wide group of people Mm. you know um and you know whereas in the past like you know these really bizarre artists like, like Danielson, um, you know, could, could survive off of, um, touring and and releasing a record that sells, you know, a thousand copies or whatever. Um, now that's not really possible. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's definitely a strange time for those kind of bands. And we're trying to like be as innovative as possible in terms of, um, both adapting them to the streaming platforms, but also like trying to not adapting their music. Sure. To be clear, yeah, of course. But like adapting our, our approach and just trying to do the, the, do what we can to get the most, you know, listens on streaming platforms. But, um, we're also just trying to, uh, come up with different approaches for those kind of bands, things like artist, uh, specific subscriptions, things like that. Um, because a lot of these bands have a super dedicated smaller audience. You know, they've got an audience of 2000 people worldwide who will gladly buy everything, and yeah, anything right. that this band does, right. you know? Um, and so, um, part of our approach has been, um, doing more limited specialty, um, artful kind of physical releases um, for those types of artists. And right. And I, I want to ask you about some of those things. Um, I would just thinking about streaming though, real quickly, you, you're, you're a label from that's been around for, you know, over 15 years. What was your perception 
or or your plan of of streaming as it started to emerge because you guys completely predated that world even in a way you know in a way you're predating even the mp3 necessarily or the the mm-hmm. iTunes world but what was your perception of things as as things started moving in that direction well um i would say that we so even though we started 15 years ago it's not you know 15 years ago, I was a freshman in college okay. just putting out my own band CD. Sure. You know, it wasn't a real label sure. <laughs> until uh, um, maybe maybe like seven years ago, I would say oh. it became it became like my, my career and, and, you know, we have got, you know, employees and things. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but um, we're coming at that, the streaming um, emergence in a kind of a, weird um from a weird direction because um our first successes as a label were really from um the super um weird artful um physical limited packages that we would sell direct to customers right, okay so things like so we did like a cassette box set for um Joan of Arc and we did one for of Montreal uh, you know yeah. like compiling all 10 of their albums at the time you know into a screen printed wooden box set and this is back when cassettes were still uh you know well unheard of I actually read that you um yeah. w- were you like one of the first labels to do cassettes or was that just like exaggerated by the press because I read a few articles <laughs> from like 2011 2012 yeah I mean yeah I I think that's accurate um that's very cool in terms of like we were we sort of like pioneered that resurgence of that format um that's awesome uh and it and that led to a lot of our other like uh successes as a label led to a lot of our relationships with bands you know so um doing a cassette box set for of montreal you know, uh, led us to um, creating a friendship with Kishibashi, you know, who's one of our right. uh, bigger right. artists now, you know, um, things like that. So, um, but uh, basically, like, we, we were, we were way more focused on that stuff, right? You know, when, um, and so, like, when Spotify uh, came out and, you know, we just saw it as, as kind of, uh, as cake or whatever, right. <laughs> you know, like we were like, Oh fuck. All right. Okay. Like people are just pirating this shit anyway. We might Good as point. well get, get a tiny bit of money for Good it. Point. So, I mean, I, you know, I, um, so we never came really from the good old days when like, <laughs> you know, when people were buying CDs and stuff, yeah. um, Interesting. So, like, I, I, I'm not necessarily like against the the whole model of streaming. I think, I think the model itself is, um, is the future, you know, and it's doing a lot of good in terms of like making music accessible to sure. people who have never had record stores. You know, people in countries that you can't pronounce the name of, sure. you know, now have access to all the music in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's amazing, but. Um, I think they should definitely revise how they 
have a pay band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? No, for sure. Um, I mean, so was the, um, you know, I saw that you were doing flexi discs and of course tapes and pioneering that. Um, and that just, that must have just really fit well with your audience and with the genre of music. Is that right? Yeah, I would say so. Like the, we were um, doing those types of releases for artists who, whose um, fans were like, were definitely very interested in, in having something unique and special you yeah. know, from those artists. For sure. It doesn't work as, as well when, um, when it's an unknown artist, that's a whole other like set of challenges, oh, okay. you know? Um, what about the, the white label series that, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, white label series, we started that, um, I think four or five years ago. Um, and the idea was, um, basically we just realized that like there are so many amazing records out there that, you know, from the past and current records that, um, just essentially don't have any hope of being pressed on vinyl. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and totally. And, uh, um, and this, the effort was just to, to try to unearth some of those, those obscure records and, um, and press them on vinyl so that they're sort of, uh, canonized. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, totally. Like, um, and, um, and so we decided though, instead of us picking these, these obscure records, um, we would instead, uh, ask, um, ask different artist curators each year to pick their favorites. Oh man, that's such a great um, idea. Yeah. It's, it's a, um, it's, thank you. And it seems to be working well because like, then, you know, we can, we can line up people like, you know, St. Vincent or, or Lou Barlow or whoever mm -hmm. to, um, to choose their favorite record. And then they're the advocate for it. And they can write a little curator statement telling, you know, the subscribers to the series, like why they like this record so much. And it means a lot more coming from, you know, an amazing, yeah, well absolutely. Like um, so, Were these available in yeah, stores or was thing. it a subscription only thing? Um, it, so we do it as a subscription only thing through the label, but then we give the bands um, 125 copies. Oh, cool. As they're, and then they can, so the idea being that they can then sell them and, and sort of kickstart their, their own fan base. Oh, sure. What, what, um, I imagine like going, you know, uh, depending on the era from where these albums were, were done or recorded, I imagine it would be somewhat of an arduous task to, to get the licensing or to, to get the masters depending on how it was recorded. Did you run into that at all? Um, we haven't run into any licensing issues cause you know, most of the time it's most of the time, the art, the, the curators that we line up have an an album in mind that they are already uh, um, familiar with. Like they are already friends with that artist, Okay, you know, it's, or it's like, it's somebody that they toured with and in 2005 and they have been carrying around yeah. this fucking C CDR ever since, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like it's that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And, uh, so it was generally and, a self-release. So it's usually really, 
Yeah, okay. usually it's it's something that's never been released. It's def- like part of the rules are that this is something that I see. has never been on vinyl. Yes. Um, sometimes they, you know, the the digital's already been out there on Bandcamp or something like that. But um, but it's definitely never been on vinyl, and usually uh, we haven't, you know, run into any real like licensing problems because it's it's usually the case where the curator is. Um, you know, is already sort of friends with the artist. Yeah, oh, that's great. Um, we did run into, like, one, uh, like, archival kind of thing yeah. re- recently where um, one of our curators, uh, Ken Lane, his pick um, was a really obscure band that only had uh, their music on cassettes and one seven-inch. So, oh, so, they, so they just, like, sent... So they you know, physically mailed us two cassettes of their <laughs> two, you know, two separate recordings and then a seven inch and we have to digitize it. And oh, interesting. Sequen- sequence. It and stuff. How did it turn so, out? Don't know yet. <laughs> 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 it's still being digitized, <laughs> but I'm sure it'll be. Yeah. Fun. Oh, that's such a great idea. I, I actually think, I mean, even of course, you know, obscure independent releases, but there are, there's a lot of releases I think that came out in the early 2000s and the late 90s that um, just were just maybe at the wrong wrong place at the wrong time. Just just got looked yeah. over and and you know, slight even early 2000s was slightly before the vinyl renaissance where everything was getting pressed. Um, that's such a great idea. Um, thanks. Yeah, it's it's been good to like it. It feels good to like help this music get out there. Yeah. You know, these are all really worthy records. Um, it, tell me a little bit about then the the VIP membership because I've seen this with other labels as well. But but yours seems like a really integral part of your your operations. <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah, it is. So um, we started it maybe like I think it's going on eight years at this point. Wow. It, it was essentially a. <laughs> um, because of the the types of releases that we were doing and becoming known for, um, you know, the, the super limited sort of highly tactile packaging yeah. kind of releases, um, we were sort of naturally developing this this cult following, <laughs> and and um, at the same time, like we we were a young business struggling to just survive you know and um and so what we really needed was some some consistent recurring revenue coming in in order in order to quit the day jobs you know so um so that was essentially the the impetus for it um and so we started doing it uh the vip membership where um essentially five bucks a month you know and and in exchange for that, you get a bunch of perks, including, you know, free downloads of all our new stuff. You get, um, early access to, um, to releases. So like the day before we announce it publicly and oh, that's great. The day, before it's, the day before it's on pitchfork and all that shit, you can, um, you know, you can actually like log in and stream the whole record Amazing. and buy it at that time. Um, and, uh, and then we have a um, 
generally speaking for all our like new records we'll have a vip edition you know that's the most limited version that this record will ever be pressed in you mm-hmm. know it's usually like 300 or 500 copies and um and usually comes with some bonus bonus tracks on a flexi disc or a cassette and it's hand numbered and all that stuff so it's a it's a good way to like make sure that those collectible records also like go to the right people right right true um, true rather than you know Discogs. because we do have a yeah, yeah, we've got a like a, a strict uh you know no flipping policy. Okay. And so if we if we catch people just like buying records just to flip them, <laughs> you know, then we'll kick them out of the VIP Interesting. club. So are there different tiers or, or is it five dollars for everyone? <clears throat> yeah, I mean so we've we've experimented with with some different tiers over the years. Um and we until recently we were doing like monthly seven inches. Um, what we decided to do this for 2020 was, um, was sort of retire the monthly seven inches and instead do monthly full lengths. And so if, uh, um, so essentially, um, the, what we call early bird VIPs are the people that, that, um, buy in early and essentially like pre-buy, all the VIP editions for that year. Um, and so the, <clears throat> they're not only getting um, the digital benefits and the access and stuff, but they're actually getting a physical the record in the mail every month. For $5 a month? No, okay. sorry. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> so that, that early bird one is, um, it's the equivalent of, of 20 bucks. Okay, okay. That's great. Yeah. I like. I imagine you know talking like in this genre because I I know a lot. There's a lot of labels that I have in my life that are, I I would feel um, committed to. But uh, I imagine like you have a fan base who is really receptive to nearly everything, if not everything, you put out. Yeah, actually. So we we actually have a a more <laughs> a more committed club. Um, but I guess you could consider it a tier of the VIP sure. also, which, which is called the JNR 100. And these are, um, these are people that pay $100 per month to automatically get everything we release. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and, um, and that's been an awesome, and, and they also get numbers one through 100, you know, so they get the low number records. They also get like extra bonuses, like, that's amazing. they're more of a, of a community where oh, we can sure. like we we um you know if we're considering signing a band or something we'll we'll send them demos yeah <laughs> you know to check out no and way. vote on it that is so stuff great. like that so so they're they're like our you know uh our co-op or something yeah you know yeah that is beautiful um i i remember talking with yeah. um i think it was specialist subjects in the uk and who do something similar. And I, th- I remember there's this really interesting concept where when you have a group of people who have essentially prepaid for any release, you have this confidence going into any pressing that you yeah. have 50 or 100 already spoken for. Absolutely. It gives us the ability to, like, to think about the art over commerce. Right. You know? Absolutely. So we, so we, can, we can prioritize music 
you know, we can we can afford to release records that might not sell that many copies. We know it'll at least pay for itself. Yeah, and it, you know, yeah. because of these, and things. it really helps you leverage even just a better price for manufacturing. Yeah, absolutely. Such a it's, such a cool thing. So, do you have a? I remember um, Bandcamp, and I and I spoke with Bandcamp on this show about they have a, a membership platform as well. It had some mm-hmm. some. Uh, some problems with it, but do you use an online platform? Like how do you communicate with these folks or? Yeah. I mean, we just do it through all through our website. Okay. Um, we've, man, we've, uh, had lots of different website platforms over right. the years, but luckily we've sort of th- that, that type of, um, technology has really gotten a lot better. Okay. Uh, you know, so, so, um, we use Shopify, and there's a there's a recurring payments app um, called Recharge. Okay, that we use, and they can so, log so like, in. They have like some sort of portal. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <clears throat> yeah. So like we can, I think the, but we've got a, several pages that are locked. You know that that um, only members can see. You know, including our like our private stash. You know, which is like our otherwise sold out releases. If if a couple copies resurface or whatever yeah. we put them in oh that's so cool in the private stash so people can grab them there and um so so yeah it's essentially all, all handled on our website and then we do the communication through email blasts and um through private facebook groups too i've always been really interested i mean even the you know talk when you're talking about the the hundred dollar a month club you know i think it it would just be so much fun to be a part of something like that. And, and even though that's a, a steep price, if that's like, that's what a lot of people spend on drinking and entertainment anyway in a month. So I, I think that's such a, a really totally. cool thing. I, I've always, I've always been interested in trying it, but I'm from Canada and the shipping has always been a little bit uh, tricky joining a club mm-hmm. like that. Do you, do you have international members in that club? We do. Um, not a ton, but I think I think there are like fifteen or so. That's cool. Um, people from UK, Europe, and Canada. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I know, like, we it just kind of excludes us from the media mail, so I know it's a little bit harder. I from, know it's yeah, yeah, it's especially bad and for UK and and our our German uh, customers seem to have it the worst. Oh, really? Their stuff just always it's it's. <clears throat> Even if, even when the packages arrive on time, they have to pay a ton in customs oh, and stuff too. You know, they have to pay on, pay on both ends. It sucks. I think it's getting to the point where it's probably cheaper just to take it across yourself on a boat or something. <clears throat> yeah, Once a I year, mean, we, bring everything. We, we, have, <laughs> we have definitely thought about having a separate, um, you know, fulfillment warehouse right, over there. Right. Um, and... We we tried to do it once, but it wasn't the right partner. Um, so I, I think we might try it again, depending on how bad this USPS thing gets. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, is it tricky to feed this machine with fresh content? Like I would, I would always fear that I couldn't sustain something like that. Like I, mm. do, um, you know, does that uh, create any uh, stress or anything? Um, I think it used to. Um, for us, like what, like once we when we started these things, um, we were not in as stable of a place okay. in terms of a consistent roster and everything. But 
at this stage, no, it's actually the opposite problem. <laughs> we're, we have we have too much content. You're over delivering like, right now. We're well, we are. We're either over delivering or or like scheduling out. We're having to schedule out releases just really far in advance. Interesting. Um, that's really cool. So that's great. Um, yeah, there's there's no shortage of amazing records out there. You know. Yeah. Um, and the the bigger yeah the bigger uh, problem or is is just that like we can't we can't work with all of them because we have limited time and resources. But do you have um, do you have a minimum yeah. or a maximum amount of releases that is that is ideal for you like that uh, per year or per month? <laughs> So this past or in 2020, we decided to do 12 proper full lengths. Okay. Um, and that's in a, but then we also have the 12 white label releases. 12 a year. We also oh have my box gosh. sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One a one a month. Oh my so, gosh. Uh, and then we also have box box sets and singles and things like that. So, um, you know, all said and done, we're probably. We're probably hovering around thirty releases a year. Wow. Um, we're we're actually trying to do fewer. Yeah. <laughs> because it's just it it can get stressful, you know. Yeah. Stresses the rest of the I imagine now. there has to be overlap too, because there there's gotta be months where there's less release happening. So you uh, is there overlap of rela- two albums coming out around the same time? Um or is it actually once we try a month? To, we try to avoid yeah. that. We try to avoid it. You know, we definitely don't do um, two albums on the same day. Of course. Okay, you know, that's good. That's, that's where we draw the line. But uh, what we we try to keep it to one album, one like proper new full length album per month. Oh, um, interesting. But but you know sometimes that, and especially with COVID and stuff, that fucked that all yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. So um, so you know, Gosh. like. Uh, we had to do a couple like split releases where the digital came out on the original date and physical come, came out later, you know, I f- that kind of thing. So. I feel really <clears throat> bad for people releasing records in March and April of 2020 because yeah. it just got overshadowed. But then all of a sudden people started realizing that everyone was at home and, and ready for fresh content. And, and so then people who released in May and June were fine. And now I think it's kind of, sort of gone back to normal people are releasing things as normal but those people who had records out in march and early april i really feel for them yeah um i think that's a correct assessment like the those the records that we put out in march and april definitely feel like it um covid definitely hurt them you know all the records i think are hurting because of the lack of touring yeah yeah um and the and not not all the record stores being open but that's right right but um but those those months were definitely the worst uh, i think it would be really nice if if a lot of the blogs and pitchfork and stereo gum were to do a, a top 50 albums of march and april of 2020 separate from the, yeah. the 2020 list <laughs> right just to give those yeah, uh, proper the stuff, day the stuff you missed because of course COVID, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea. Uh, has there been? I mean, you know, you, you were you were making uh, you were in a band. You were self releasing stuff 
15 or 20 years, 15 or so years ago. Has there been a window of time either in the past seven years or, or prior to that that stands out to you as a good time to be a label? Was there a, a year or mm-hmm. a few years where things were easier or more responsive? Good question. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. At least for us, it's been like a, you know, it's been a constant, um, I don't want to say struggle because that makes it, yeah. that puts a negative connotation yeah. on it. But, but, but we've, we've been constantly trying to shift our approach. You know, we've been trying to like, this is an industry that's changing really rapidly, you know? Sure. And, uh, <clears throat> and we've, we've tried to be as, as malleable as possible, mm-hmm. you know, and like always sort of, uh, thinking ahead. So that, that in itself, like sort of, I don't, I don't see any part of our history as like good old days, you know, <laughs> like we're, we're always, yeah, yeah, we're always like looking towards the future. There's always a new struggle and there's always a new, um, opportunity. It's, just, yeah. yeah, the enemies change all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, how important, like going back to some of these white labels and the VIP, how important is those type of unique marketing strategies? Uh, what what drives you to create these initiatives as opposed to just mm-hmm. signing a band, releasing a re- record and repeating it over and over? Right. Well, um, so beyond the fact that it's just um, it's good to have recurring revenue. Like that's, that, that's one thing. Yeah. Right. Know? Um, like, cause like, you know, records flop all the time, you know, you can't really, you, at least for a business like ours, which, you know, is small business, we've got eight employees, you know, mm. um, like it's having that recurring monthly revenue, being able to count on that is, um, a huge relief and it's, it's, um, allowed us to, to be able to, you know, plan more effectively for the future and do, do records that we mm. otherwise might not be able to take the chance on. Um, and, and so I think there's that, you know, recurring revenue benefit, obviously, but, um, also this, the white label type, um, releases, like, I think just, also speak to our um, mission as a label or whatever to, to, to really um, be a platform for, for adventurous undiscovered Mm. music, you know, to, to, to be able to, um, to, to shine a light on some of the, um, you know, the more adventurous music out there that people might not, no oh sure yeah no that's a that's a good point i'm just kind of i'm kind of looking through the the white label stuff now on your website um this this uh reliable income like was i imagine that the covid we were talking about march and april i imagine that was a time where you probably were thankful to have this type of of ongoing support yeah absolutely absolutely and, and actually um all during covid our experience has been um, people seem to order more records during, during the lockdown. <laughs> That's great. Um, I was, I was really worried that, you know, 
um, with people, you know, tightening their budget and their jobs yeah. and everything. Yeah. Like it would, yeah, yeah. Like that it would be the opposite. But I think, um, I think a lot of, you know, people that collect records are by and large and like, like all our kind of jobs and they're able to work from home and they're not spending money on, uh, restaurants and bars, you know? And so like, sure. it, I, I think that a lot of those people were, they had some extra money to spend. And, um, so at least through our direct sales through the website, um, we actually saw a bit of an uptick during COVID. But, That's amazing. Uh, obviously we, we saw like a, <laughs> obviously like all the physical, you know, uh, distribution, you know, the record stores is way down. Um, and, yeah, uh, that's tough. Sync, sync money is way, way down. Oh, really? Yeah, because uh, productions have stopped. Yeah. yeah, I heard that from Secretly, yeah. too. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and uh, it seemed like like streaming for us stayed about the same, but it changed a little bit. Okay. It was interesting to watch. Like, like How so? Um, less, uh, or like, uh, I think like fewer playlist listens, like fewer casual listeners as people, um, you know, were disrupted from their daily routines, like their drives and and stuff. Yeah. Um, and people, I think were listening more intentionally or are listening more intentionally to records, you know, like, um, rather than just, you know, letting the algorithm feed (laughs) it to them, you know, just, Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think you're right. I think there are a lot of music collectors, um, p- perhaps uh, were more blessed with their with their jobs staying the same during this, and were just forced to work from home. And um, at the, but then there's also people like me who will continue to buy records even when I can't afford to do so. <laughs> it's it's not the first thing I cut yeah. out of the budget. I remember I was yeah. Nor should it nor be. Should it be. Yeah, music is is healing. You know, yeah. it's like it's it's food. Well, I wonder too <laughs> for your brain. <laughs> I I hope that a lot of music fans will transfer their the music the money that they would pay for live into mm-hmm. these Bandcamp days and into buying more physical stuff from from artists. Totally, it seems to be what's happening. That's amazing. Um, we we've had a few real successful uh, Bandcamp days, um, so we released um, an album from Deerhoof, um, like during quarantine. You yeah. know, I think it was late May, um, and uh, they've just used this time, you know, time off from tour to uh, just keep releasing records. That's you great. Know? And so we did a we did a like a B-Sides record, one of the Bandcamp days. Then we did a, a live record um, that benefited Black Lives Matter, and that raised um, upwards of 10 grand. Oh, my gosh. Um, so it's pretty awesome. That's incredible. Yeah, it has. I, I have seen a lot of artists kind of shift to using this time to be more prolific, and I think now we have a better understanding on how to release a record during this time. Yeah, yeah, and we're kind of changing our approach on on that and considering doing um, doing these doing digital releases quicker, you know, and then and then physical at a later date. You know? oh, okay. Um, 
or at least for certain releases, we've done that approach. Um, yeah, I've always wondered. I think yeah. it, it it makes sense if it's like, especially if it's for a timely cause. Yes, you know, like, of course. Like racial justice. Yes, yeah. And so the Bandcamp days have been good. I mean, I think I, I think they reported was it two million dollars for so far, or one, or just one of the days I think alone. It was- I think it was twenty million oh, total. Right, right. Was it? Yes. Yeah. No, I think you're right. That's pretty crazy. I, I think the first one, which was way back in April, I think mm-hmm. was maybe three or four million just on that first day mm-hmm. alone. So yeah, that's right. My goodness. That is incredible. Yeah. It's it's cool how they've like Bandcamp has emerged as like the uh <laughs> artist friendly digital platform. They're like the Superman to yes. To, to Spotify's Kryptonite yeah. or whatever, or Lex Luthor, oh, maybe. <laughs> oh my goodness! There was, there was a lot. Oh, that guy's. Yeah, that guy looks like Lex. Luthor. He does. He does. That, in, that. in your defense, yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, I, I was kind of hopeful back in April when they announced and Spotify announced that they were doing this way for fans to donate to their artists directly on the platform, and I thought man, that could be a really cool thing. But it's mm-hmm. turned out to be just like absolute rubbish. Like I don't, I'd love to know if anyone has received donations from that whatsoever. Right. And it certainly looks and, temporary. Right. And and I, the difference I see between the Bandcamp and Spotify approaches is like Spotify, or Bandcamp was giving their share. You That's know, they, right. They were giving That's up right. their money yes. for it. Spotify was just asking people. Yes. <laughs> Spotify was asking people and the and the artists to give more money. Yeah. Like, oh, that's it. sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, why don't you guys just commit to giving part of your profits? Yes. Like part of every every stream. Right. You know. Right. Not a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Not a publicly traded company that's like right. that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the shareholders would would want to give up <laughs> their dividends or something one month to all the <laughs> artists. <laughs> Oh, it's so great about Bandcamp, yeah. and I'm glad to... Uh, so you've been doing exclusive releases, like anticipating that. I mean, they've now announced... We're talking now in the summertime, but they've now announced that... Uh, I, is it one Friday a month? Yeah, I think I think they're keeping on the... the um, wait, is it one Friday a month, or is it every... I don't know. I want to say... Every Friday it, it for the rest can't be every Friday. Year? That's insane. It's got to be one. Yeah, that would be excessive. Yeah, hold on. Let me see if I can... <laughs> Maybe it's one Friday. I think it's the first Friday per month for the rest of the year. Okay. That's what it is. Okay. Now, I, but yeah, we could be wrong. We could be wrong. They, um, hold on. I found the link here. I just want to get it right. Um, uh, we'll be continue to hold Bandcamp Fridays on the first Friday of every month until the end of the year. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, I mean, that gives you time to to say plan for November 6th or December 4th and to do something yeah. pretty cool. I mean, that's yeah, enough time to even press something. Yeah, or at least get it rolling yeah. um, and start pre-orders, you know. Yeah, um, yeah we've been, um, like, that. those have, have um, sort of, uh, allowed our artists to to kind of think about new stuff that they've been working on that maybe you know they hadn't they wouldn't release quite yet yes. you know yeah that um, 
that they're just like, fuck it, you know, let's, <laughs> let's just, let's put it all out there right now, you know? One of my, um, yeah, one of my favorite things I've seen come out of COVID is I, um, artists not only being prolific, but being a lot less precious with their material and releasing demos yeah. and live recordings. I'm a huge fan of demos and I, I love hearing mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And, and they're, I do too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, it's nice to, it's nice that like, um, it's taken the pressure off a little bit, you know, for, of the, like the artistic pressure yeah. from those artists. That's totally, yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, and yeah, I agree. I love hearing like, um, the early versions of things, like seeing all the, all the seams. Oh, you know? sure. Yeah. <laughs> iPhone demos and seeing the guts. Yeah. 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 I love that. I, when I was reading about like the history of your label, um, ironically, my label or the, the first incarnation of the label name and logo was on the back of a CD I put out. I, and I read that that's your story as well. What was it about needing that sort of label validation back then in, in the CD era? <laughs> yeah. I, I think my logic at the time was just like, I was just, tr- I was trying to do anything I could to, <laughs> to get noticed, to, to get noticed yeah. in any way whatsoever, yeah. you know, whether it was, you know, better shows or, you know, getting played on college radio or whatever, getting reviews, you know, and I just thought, um, people would take us more seriously if we had a label, even though it was, <laughs> it was fake. It was just a fake yeah. label. Yeah. It's fake label. Name. And so um, was it joyful noise? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I wish I would have chosen a different yeah. one. Actually, <laughs> same. <laughs> but it, t- yeah. <laughs> it takes. It's going back to those demos. It takes all the pressure off of coming up with a logo or a name because it's just fake. Yeah. It's just in the moment. <clears throat> right. That is so funny. That's amazing. So then, what was the transition? Because you say that things really took off only seven years ago, but we're we're talking yeah. about you doing this back in two thousand and three. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It was two thousand three. So. I maybe it's more like eight or nine years ago at this point, um, or 10, I don't know, <laughs> but, but, um, I can, t- I can point you to the release okay. whenever yeah. that came out, whenever this, this, um, so, okay. So basically after I put the fake label name on my band's CD, I, um, started releasing just some of my friends' bands, on on cd and um and just kind of trying to emulate the other labels you know that i saw in my you know circle like what secretly was doing and whatnot um and uh it didn't go very well you know essentially just you know lost money on all those you know first 20 albums or whatever um and but i just kept doing it because i wanted to keep you know, supporting this music that I found so meaningful. Mm. Um, but, um, I would say the real, the real turning point happened when, um, I, um, got drunk one night at my house and was listening to Joan of Arc, one of my favorite bands. And, um, and I randomly emailed polyvinyl to see, if they would let me release one of their albums on cassette and like surprisingly they got back right away 
and said, uh, sure. Like that's, that's great. That's crazy, but go for it. Like, and, uh, and then I just kept kind of pushing my luck and I was like, what about all seven of the albums that you've released from Joan of Arc on cassette? Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? And they were like, sure. And then I wrote their previous label, Jade Tree. Oh, cool. Um, and asked them the same thing. And they were just like, we don't give a fuck. <laughs> and so, and so I ended up releasing this, 10 cassette box set that was more of like an art piece yes, you know? and yeah. uh, and that sold out immediately so it sold out in one day oh my god and i was just shocked and sorry you know? can, and I, I I, like, can i interrupt you so this is a was sure. this the wooden box with like a like yeah. a cigar box type of thing right right oh my gosh and that's i mean that's like a, a big undertaking did you have to kind of get financially involved with that before even taking pre-orders um trying to remember i think i did have to like borrow a little bit yeah. of money from friends i think i had to borrow like 1500 bucks was the box custom made because uh, it fits like yeah yeah the oh box is custom gosh. made by my my friend who's a woodworker oh, okay and uh screen printed from another friend who oh my <laughs> does gosh. that stuff so um so yeah like but when that sold out right away after years of you know not selling shit I was just like, it felt like I had cracked the code. Like, oh my God, yeah. you know, people, people want like, like this was a really like crazy project that I didn't think anybody was going to care about, <laughs> but it, it turns out that people really valued this, like this highly tactile, you know, artful, uh, handmade, you know, object. Um, totally. uh, in connection with their music. And so I, I, so that was sort of when that came out, I, I, that was the transition from, you know, the day job to, to doing this label full time. Just from, Um, from that one release. Well, that like that one release didn't pay enough to (laughs) to like, to really start a business, but it was, it's the idea of that release, you know? Um, and, and like that release, like I would say that started our our fan base as a label, and it started my um like I after that release I started thinking about how to run a label differently. I started uh, I didn't care what you know what the more established labels were doing sure. at that point. You know, I wasn't trying. I was trying to run a different kind of label after that. I. Um, I want our listeners to go to your website and look at this box set because, first of all, it seems like it's it's criminally underpriced to get ten tapes in a wooden box for fifty dollars. <laughs> Maybe at- that's true. We should we should have priced it at like a hundred. <laughs> yeah, but I I thought no one was going to care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I can think of maybe twenty or thirty bands that I like who I would buy all of their records on cassette in a box like this. I mean, this is—it's a great, great idea, especially because none of these had been done on tape ever. Is that true? Uh, yeah, that's oh true. Oh my gosh! Yeah, um, and so yeah, we the, the cassette box set is was an idea that we then did again for of Montreal, and we did it for Dinosaur Junior for their mm. first three albums um which uh and then we, and then we actually just recently i think just earlier this year uh did it for deer hoof 
And and that one included their first, that was like for a 25th anniversary of the band um, and included 16 albums. Oh my gosh. Um, and that, that one, the packaging is yes. like, that's my Unreal. favorite one. It's Unreal. so, it's so good. I mean, every album got a re redesign. Is that right? Yeah. Oh my yeah. Gosh. Like, <clears throat> yeah. And then we, um, yeah. And see, there's yeah. something great as a music fan and a fan of record labels, a fan of formats. I look at this and I think fan or not of the band, I want this on my shelf. I want to own right. that. I don't even care if it's silence on all 16 cassettes. <laughs> you just want that. That's I, I love totally. that. And that, that and that's I mean that's most that's a lot of what we're selling these days. You right. know, when we're, even when we're talking about vinyl, it's like you know, it's we're not selling convenience no, to the music. Of course. Yeah, you know, right. like like we're selling the 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 trophy, the the uh, the talking piece or whatever, yeah. like the thing to put on your shelf to like uh, show your friends and like uh, absorb as a piece of art. Absolutely. You know? Well, yeah, no, that's that's totally true, and I think with the advent of streaming, we can get all these records in in ten seconds on my phone or on my watch and right. but it's yeah it's not about that it's about um right i don't even know what it is i don't know people say well, it's tactile people say it's emotional but for some reason i'm compelled to it even though i don't need it i have the music elsewhere right but it's you know listening especially vinyl you know going through the the experience of you know, sitting down with an album on vinyl and absorbing the artwork and, mm. you know, le reading the lyrics and stuff like that is a, is a much more, um, it's a much deeper experience of that music than, you know, hearing a track on a playlist while you're jogging. Oh, totally. You know? It's just a completely different thing. And if you really love this music, you know, then you, and you want to experience it in that, that deeper way which is why I think vinyl sales have, you know, continued to rise and probably will never <laughs> go away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It seems like it's, it's just really fitting in a nice groove, pun intended. And it's just, yeah, I love, <laughs> I love it. I, I was just, I was realizing the other day, my own behavior, I don't know if other people are like this, but on my iTunes, uh, my Apple music collection, I, I only listen to the recently added. I only listen to like the records of this week and last week mm -hmm. and for a couple weeks and then it switches up. Whereas my vinyl collection is a complete opposite. It's 20 year old records, 30 year old records, records of the last 10 years that have really stood out to me. And I very rarely am I listening to a new release on the turntable. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. super strange. <clears throat> I think that that is how a lot of people listen to music now and, and um, I don't think it's a bad thing, no, you know, yeah. to like, to be able to sort of, to listen to the record, to, you know, sample it essentially, yes, you know, for audition free. it. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And then if you re really, really love it, you, you know, you buy the physical and absorb it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. It's been so great to talk with you. I love the label. I love, um, I just I love that mindset and 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 I kind of feel like I just want to ponder on that for a little bit about how you had this you know mindset shift after selling the first box set and kind of you know unlocking the the secret of of your customers. I feel like that's something that a lot of us labels need to have that breakthrough moment. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks. I was, I was lucky to, <laughs> to have it <laughs> that's awesome Real lucky. so great to, to chat with you thank you so much for doing yeah. this congratulations no, on, a, on a great label gosh thanks to carl from joyful noise you got to go to joyfulnoiserecordings.com to learn more about this label if you don't already know and i know we have some listeners who are going to be like oh thank goodness it's been so long i wanted you to do an episode with these guys um but boy what a great catalog they have what a great label they have and such cool insights into how Carl kind of discovered the wants and needs and desires of his customer base and just, um, you know, started designing and making products for that. Um, and it's something we need to realize. And we, we've talked about, I've talked about this in, in, in the course that I did, but we talked a lot about um, market sophistication, about this idea that our audience um is familiar with people releasing albums. So when we talk about re releasing a new record or releasing a new single, it doesn't really give the audience any sort of excitement or goosebumps because they're sophisticated. They've heard that before for decades. And so when you do something incredible, like putting a series or a discography of cassettes in a cool little wooden box, well, the market isn't uh, as sophisticated to, because they haven't seen something like that before. And so Congratulations to Carl for really, um, you know, finding that and what that was for his listeners and for his label. I think that's such a cool thing. On this topic of marketing, go to our website to get a free marketing checklist that you can download that will help you if you are a self-releasing DIY artist or if you are a record label. Go to otherrecordlabels.com slash marketing to download our free marketing checklist. Thanks for listening.